you can see where we're going. Most people would like to have a certain amount of happiness in their life, but the question is, how do you make that happen? We go looking for it in all kinds of ways, and sometimes the ways we look for, we don't find it. The world focuses on success, on winners, not losers. Someone wrote this, if you have money, people want to give you more. If you're rich and famous, people love to give you things. If you're rich and influential, corporate boards invite you to join them. Then you can make lots of money just by attending, attending meetings and giving your opinion on the direction of the company you know nothing about. They go on, there's nothing wrong with people making lots of money, but the problem is that our society has convinced us that wealth alone equals success. We value people solely because of their checkbooks, regardless of what they did or did not do to make their money. Somehow we've come to believe that rich people are better, smarter, more attractive, more successful than everyone else. We idolize the rich and despise the, pu the poor. Is that true? Does that really speak of our culture? I think there's some truth in there. I think that's the way of the world. But what we know is there, there's a better way. We want to talk about that tonight. God has a different way. But for us to have God's way, we've got to think differently. We've got to have the right thinking. So that's what I want to talk about. Tonight's lesson is going to be short, but hopefully it'll be encouraging to all of us. And so buckle up and hang on. Point number one, we must focus on the positive and not the negative. I want to share a verse with you that you are familiar with, but it may be one of those that we read over and don't really spend enough time meditating on. And I want this to be the challenge. Philippians 4, verse 8. Put it on the screen. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Is that one of the most overlooked passages of Scripture? What would happen if every day we read this verse and lived by this verse? That we think about what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable was excellent and praiseworthy. Paul is saying we should focus on the good, focus on the positive things in life. And I think he says this because he knows our human nature is we focus on the negative. We see the faults. I read this week about a teacher who put first day of school, put the times table on the board. One times nine equals, two times nine equals, went all the way down. But what she did intentionally is the very first one, one times nine equals seven. And so all the students were noticing this, punching their elbows, thinking, okay, what kind of teacher is this? And part of the lesson was, I want you to see, one of them is wrong. All the rest of them are correct, but you spotted what's wrong and you couldn't get past that. There's a lesson in life there. Huge lesson in life. And that's the way we are. You do a great job, mess up one time. And people remember that one mess up. You remember your one mess up. But it's all true, isn't it? That we focus on the negative. But at what cost? Because the more we look at the negative, the more negative we become. 
I want to share, Max Licato shared a story about a flight one time, and I want to read it as he wrote it because he's such a good wordsmith, but it illustrates this so well. So she sat in 14E, I sat in 14D. She was rural and I was urban. She was homey and I was professional, but she could see and I was blind. I groaned, I had a bad attitude, my week had been hectic, the plane was late and overbooked, I had a toothache and left the tooth medicine back at the hotel. I wanted to sleep but had work to do, and now I was sitting next to Gomer Pyle's mother. Oh boy, look at that one, she pointed at the plane ahead of us on the runway. Is, is, is this one that big? Yes. I hope my brief response would show where I wasn't up for chit chat. It didn't. I'm hoping to see my boy in Dallas. Do you ever go to Dallas? I hope he's okay. He's had the stomach flu last week. He's got a new dog. I can't wait to see it. It's a Labrador. Do you know what that is? It's big and lovable. She was uncanny. Not only could she add a syllable to every word, she could answer her own questions. As we were taking off, however, she got quiet for several moments. She said nothing. Then suddenly she let out a sound that would have called pigs to dinner. Ooh-wee. Those trees down there look like peat moss. People stared at me like I was E.F. Hutton. What river is that? I told her I didn't know, so she called the stewardess. When the drinks came around, I asked for a Coke. She asked for the list. Tell me again. So the stewardess told her again. Oh, it's so hard to chew, she giggled, but finally she chose. When they brought her the drinks, she exclaimed they didn't know. She didn't know the apple juice came in cans. When they brought her a sandwich, she opened the box and proclaimed loud enough for the pilot to hear while they even put mayonnaise in here. When I pulled out my laptop computer, she was enthralled. Now, isn't that clever? And it went on for the whole flight. She didn't miss a thing. If she wasn't staring out the window, she was amazed by a magazine. If she wasn't talking, she was ooing. She played with her fan. She turned her light off and on and off and on. She toyed with her seatbelt. She savored her lunch. When we went through turbulence, I looked over to make sure she was all right, and she was grinning. You would have thought she was riding the Ferris wheel at the county fair. It occurred to me about mid-journey that she was the only person enjoying the trip. The rest of us, the sophisticated, were too mature to have fun. As I was staring at the computer screen, eyes tired, mouth hurting, stressed out, trying to find a message for stress-filled people and never noticing that the message was sitting right next to me. And I might have never noticed that she had not leaned over and said to me at the end of the, sun, end of the flight, son, I may be out of place in saying this, but you worked the entire trip. You need to relax, boy. You need to put that machine up and enjoy the journey. Gulp. I smiled weakly and mumbled some excuse about needing to get work done before tomorrow. She wasn't listening. She was squeezing her hands together in excitement as we landed. Wasn't that a fun trip? She asked as we were leaving the plane. I didn't say anything. I just nodded and smiled. Off she walked, bouncing down the concourse like a six-year-old. I watched her as long as I could and then turned to go to my next flight with a lesson learned. I resolved to keep my eyes open. And then Lucado concluded, it does little good I decided to make the trip and miss the journey. I shared that story because we've all been in a situation where somebody's got on our nerves and then we realize after a while they've got it right and we've got it wrong most of us are so so caught up in negative stuff 
focused on the wrong things, that we fail to see the good, we fail to see the positive, we fail to count our blessings, we fail to enjoy the journey. Like, no wonder we're not happy. No wonder we're sour. We need to heed Paul's words and focus on the good that is around us. Point number two, we must focus on praising and not griping. Focus on praising and not griping. Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15, look what he writes here. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. A customer was bothering a server in the restaurant. First, he asked the so it was hot in here and asked if they could turn the air down a little bit. So the server left and came back and said, is that better now? And he agreed that it was. A little while later, though, he complained that it was too cool. And so the server left and came back and said, is that better? And, and, and the man said, yeah, that is better. And he went on and on, back and forth. He was so loud in all of his complaints that people at the surrounding tables heard it all. But surprisingly, the server was very patient, responded to every complaint, and was very quick about it. But finally, a second customer asked him about that customer's rude comments. And the server said, oh, I don't really care and I don't mind. We're not even allowed to touch the air conditioning. <laughs> it tells a lot about us, though, doesn't it? A friend of mine, I noticed this week, a friend of mine is a grouch. They're a grouch. Do you have a grouch in your life? This person is a grouch. And I noticed on Facebook they posted about grouchy people. And then all the grouchy people commented about how grouchy people are. And I thought, wait a minute, if we could just see ourselves. And I wondered if our own grouchiness brings out the grouchiness in others. Have you noticed that? Someone said, you know you're getting older when your memory is shorter and your complaining is longer. But think about how many times our complaints are just not necessary. They don't help anybody. They don't build anybody up. They don't bless anybody. Martin Phillips told about sitting next to an older couple on a plane. They were talking kind of loud, and he couldn't help but overhear. And the wife was complaining, I don't like riding on these airplanes. And the woman's frail husband tried to calm her down and said, Now, honey, it's going to be all right. Marvin said, I just smiled, and we taxied it in the runway and took off. It was a beautiful day for flying, and I didn't think of the lady anymore until we landed. At the precise moment the wheels hit the ground, the husband said to her optimistically, you see, honey, we made it. And she snapped right back, we're not there yet. You ever found yourself being that lady? Almost enjoying being negative? Do you feel compelled to complain in every situation? Red light. Everybody in the car knows it's a red light. But you had to say it, as if that makes it better. If so, as one author says, you're a thief. You're stealing joy. You're stealing their joy, and you're stealing your own joy. Even though most people think it's their right to complain, as Christians, we know to God this is an affront. He is not patient with this at all. Look what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. 
So with all that it says here, then verse 5 opens up, nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. 1 Corinthians 10, 10, a few verses later, and do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Doesn't sound good, does it? Because it wasn't good. He wiped them out. God is not pleased when we gripe and complain, especially when we've got it good. As someone said, whenever you're tempted to tell your troubles to other people, remember that half your listeners don't care and the other half are glad you're finally getting what's coming to you. And instead of complaining about what we don't have, what we don't like in our lives, we should look at what we do have and thank God for it. Praise more. Complain less. Again, Philippians 2, 14, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. A sure way to shine, to stand out in our dark world is to be positive. It's to not complain like everybody else. It's to see the cup half full, to be grateful, to be a person who says thank you. Emma Bombeck was quoted saying years ago, millions of people are living today after bouts with breast cancer. Every time I forget to feel grateful to be among them, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old named Christina who had cancer of the nervous system. When asked what she wanted for her birthday, she thought long and hard and finally said, I don't know, I have two sticker books and a cabbage patch doll. I have everything. Bombeck said, the kids got it right. We all have a whole lot more than we realize. Maybe we need to spend more time thanking God, counting our blessings, praising Him. And maybe in doing that, we'd find more happiness. And then number three, we must focus on giving and not getting. I'm not going to get into this long because we touched on this this morning. But we focus on giving and not getting. You know the name John D. Rockefeller, an example of, of amazing wealth. And the benefits of giving. He achieved what our culture called success. But what you may not know, unless you've studied his history, that at age 53, as successful as he was, he was miserable. I mean, he was just awfully miserable. Throughout his business career, he said, I never placed my head upon the pillow at night without reminding myself that my success might be only temporary. Here's one of the richest men, if not the richest man in the world at that time, sick physically, mentally, emotionally, not happy, depressed, no humor, no joy in life. And then a transformation occurred. He determined to become a giver rather than an accumulator. He started the foundation, the Rockefeller Foundation, to give his millions away, fighting disease, fighting ignorance. He lived to be 98 years old. But those later years were much more fruitful and beneficial and happy. So giving worked for John D. Rockefeller, but does it work for us? Do you have to have millions to have that kind of success? I read about Claiborne and Joyce Chen of Norwood, Ohio. The article said this, they don't mind working the Christmas season it's the Lord's work we do, the joy of giving. As long as we have the ability, we'll keep doing it and taking on more, God willing, said Mrs. Chen. From the homeless to the drug dependent to the homebound, the Chins have made the underprivileged their mission, work, working hard to brighten holidays for the needy, 
Joyce and Clayton Chin donated goods every year. We like to bring a little joy to people during the Christmas season. Doing it is our Christmas, Mrs. Chin said. At the nursing homes, we dress as Mr. and Mrs. Claus, said Mr. Chin, who's 66, a retired General Electric machinist. We drop off the personal hygiene products and let their staff deliver those because some people are allergic to some things. But giving, even to these, the least. It's not the Rockefellers' millions, but they may have even more joy. I'm not sure that we can ever give too much of our money for a good cause, too much of our money away, or too much of ourselves, because it has a way of coming back to you. In fact, I don't think you can give it all away. And that's not my words. That's what the wisest man said in Scripture. Proverbs eleven seventeen: Those who are kind benefit themselves. Those who are kind benefit themselves. In Proverbs eleven twenty four: One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. I wonder if that poverty would also be a poverty of joy. When we fail to give ourselves... And of the goods that God has given us, we fail ourselves. We cheat ourselves. No wonder we're miserable. Because we're not even doing ourselves any favor. In Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus is quoted as saying, you remember this verse, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The greater blessing comes by giving, not getting. If you're not as happy as or joyful as you think you should be, maybe there's a reason. Maybe you need to go back and think about your own giving. One prominent psychiatrist said this, happiness is an imaginary condition. An imaginary condition formerly attributed by the living to the dead, now usually attributed by adults to children and by children to adults. In other words, happiness is something we think somebody else has. We look at them and say, well, they must be happy. I mean, look at what they've got. Look at where they live. Look at how they dress. Look at what's going for them. But I think happiness boils down to the proper focus, to the right thinking. We must focus on eternity, not earth. On people, not possessions. On service, not self. On God's grace, not our own goodness. Focus on the spirit and not the flesh. And what's positive, not negative. Praising, not griping. Giving not getting. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Let's pray. God, we live in a world where we are distracted constantly. And so to focus on the right thing is a challenge that is always before us. So many things are calling our name and bright lights getting our attention. And it takes our focus away from where it should be. And God, there's a part of us where we do see the negative. We do see the problems. We do see the reasons to complain. And we can be just like the world and complain just like the world. Father, forgive us. We understand that complaining and grumbling and murmuring is such an affront to You. Father, we want You to be proud of us. 
to be pleased. And we know that comes when we have a thankful spirit. But God, that thankful spirit doesn't just happen by asking for it. It's with the right way of thinking, of truly looking at what's true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable, of focusing on eternity and people, of serving, of Your grace, what's positive, looking for ways to give, looking for ways to bless, always saying thank You first to You and even to the people around us. Father, forgive us for complaining. Forgive us for being negative. Help us to take Paul's words to heart this week and to dwell on these things, to think about these things. And Father, we ask for that to make a difference in our lives. It's through Christ we pray and amen. If we can pray for you specifically, or if tonight you would like to have your sins washed away in baptism, we always have that ready as well. Won't you come as we stand and sing? to encourage.